All right. Well, uh, good evening, everyone, and welcome. If you don't know me, as Caleb said, my name is Jarrett, and I help lead City Light U North Lincoln on this side of the Clue Crew. So it's going to catch on. Um, tonight, we're entering into week four of our series on what does the Bible say about. Um, this will be the final week of our series. Uh, and just like every other week, I want to say that as we talk about things tonight, as we go through things, um, it's totally okay if you don't agree with everything that's said. Um, like, uh, the expectation isn't that everyone is in the exact same place, but that we would engage with what the Bible has to say and see what it holds for us. Um, and if you missed any of the first three weeks of this series, you can listen to it on our Spotify page because we continue to be fancy, and my mom continues to be pretty excited about it, although I'm pretty sure she hasn't listened to any of these yet. Um, but I want to spend a solid amount of time tonight recapping uh, the first three weeks as we've gone through this series. Um, so the first week, we looked at what the Bible said about God. First, how it is his eternal nature that gives life meaning, and that he is all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-present. He's everywhere. And then we looked at three characteristics about God as well, that he is holy, that he is just, and that he is love. And then week two, we talked about what's wrong with the world, and how the Bible presents sin as being the core reason. And while sin is a word that's likely familiar for all of us, kind of given its somewhat common usage today, we looked at what this word truly means in order to gain a more full understanding of how sin has left the world in the state that it is today. That it means to fall short and to miss the mark. That the Bible's concept of sin is not that we are always as bad as we could be, but that we're never as good as we should be. And sin is an issue that we cannot free ourselves from. As John 8.34 said, we are slaves to sin, we are stuck in it and unable to escape, and as a result, we're left in a world that is deeply broken. And so last week, we looked at what the Bible says about how to fix the world. In God's love, he planned from the beginning to send Jesus to remove the separation between humanity and God that was formed because of this sin. And Jesus took our place by going to the cross and dying. He experienced separation from God. But while Jesus' death is significant, it was his resurrection that forms the basis and foundation of Christianity. It gives us confidence that he truly did bridge the gap of separation between us and God. And now because of this, our hope can be in an eternity with a good and loving God who has done the work for us. There's nothing that we can do to earn it. And I want to read Revelation 21, 1 through 4 again, because I thought it was super impactful when we read it last week, just to give us an image of what eternity with God looks like. So Revelation 21, 1 through 4 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And so that's what we went through the last three weeks. And so tonight, we're going to be talking about what the Bible says about how to live the quote-unquote good life. I think it's fair to say that we all want to live the good life. Um, I think it's also fair to say that we would all describe differently what the good life would look like for us. Um, it often includes a combination of having a good job, a spouse and kids, a lot of money, things, power, and influence. Um, each For each person, it can look different. Some people may not want kids. Some people may want to be involved in a lot of things. Or some people may just want to take like five or six naps a day. Um, and while our own individual conception of what living the good life truly looks like differs, the Bible presents us with a clear direction on how we are to best live and experience true fullness of life while we're here on earth. It is not a step-by-step laid-out plan for exactly what we're supposed to do in every single second of our lives, but it instead provides us with a framework through which we are called to view every second of our lives and shape how we are to live. 
Um, And this is not meant to be a lifeless process that we just kind of go through, but instead the act of living out of a knowledge that the one who created us truly knows how to provide us with a good life. He created us, he knows what's best for us. And so my hope tonight is that we get a sense of the big picture now that we have that, um, what eternity with God looks like, and ultimately how we're called called to set our eyes upon the work of Jesus, that we'd spend time looking at how we are to live now. How are we to experience true fullness of life, what people strive so hard for? So I'm going to pray, and then we'll dive into that. Dear Lord, yeah, I just thank you uh, for the last three weeks as we've been walking through this series. Um, Just seeing your heart for your people, um, the people that you created, the people that you love so dearly. Um, Yeah, that you have not left us alone. Um, That, yeah, you interceded in history um, and sent Jesus to die for our sins and be born and be raised again. Um, Yeah, that we could be for eternity with you. Um, So, yeah, I pray that you'd be present tonight as we look at, yeah, how to live the good life um, the Bible promises for us um, in accordance with your will. I pray that you'd be present tonight, um, that you'd be speaking, that your spirit would be here, um, that anything that you want to say would be heard tonight, and anything that's not from you would fall upon deaf ears, Lord. Uh, Yeah, so pray that you'd be present, pray that we'd fall in love with you more as a result of tonight, know you more fully um, as a result as a community. In your name we pray, amen. All right, so before we get into what the good life looks like, I think it's important for us to understand how we're going to reach this point. So last week, as I said, we talked in depth about the work of Jesus and what that means for our eternities. But this is true only if we choose to accept the free gift of his work and make him Lord of our lives. So all of the Bible points forward or, to, or backward from um, this one climactic moment in history that we talked about, the life of Jesus. And so the good life is really just our response after receiving the grace that he's purchased for us on the cross. So how do we do that? Because if we don't take this step, then we're never really going to be able to live out the good life that the Bible presents with us. So the Bible shows us two steps for receiving the gift that Jesus readily offers. And so to frame this section, I want us to look at Mark 1, 14 through 15, which says, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. I'll read that again. Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And so this is a quote right from the beginning of Jesus's work on earth, the first chapter of Mark, one of the gospels. And last week, we talked about the kingdom of God being eternity in the presence of God. So what we see is that Jesus telling them from the beginning, the way to experience the kingdom of God is to repent and believe. And so the first step I want to talk about tonight is believing. And Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 gives us a simple outline of what we are called to believe in. It says, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. I'll read that one again. That says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. The call to believe um, is that the call is to believe in our hearts, to put our faith in the work of Jesus, and know that his life, death, and resurrection are enough to give us eternal life with him. And the second of these two steps that we see in Mark 1.15 is called repentance, which is a word that we hear sometimes, but I don't think we quite have a full understanding of often because it's not a word that we commonly use, especially outside of Christian circles. Um, And the way that I've heard it best explained involves some foreign language usage, so we're actually going to require some audience participation here. Hopefully some of you know Spanish. Um, Does anyone know what the verb pensar means? Um, To think. think. Yes, thank you. It means to think. (laughs) Yep. You all knew it. I feel confident you all knew it. Um, But yeah, and so we see, yeah, so pensar means to think, and that's a root word in repent. And so I think a helpful way to think about repent. So to repent is to rethink, essentially. Um, it's, a lot, it's a little bit more than that, but in space. Um, this is more than just the casual rethinking that we often do, but it's instead a total reconsideration of all that we know and believe. 
And in essence, this rethinking is a change in who is in control of our lives. And so Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I'll read this one again. Um, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so this change in thinking, this change in who is in control, is a shift from I am Lord of my life to Jesus is Lord of my life, a work that can only be done through the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the one in control and holds the authority. And to reach this point requires a complete change in thinking. This is not our natural inclination. As it was said to me in college once, you don't come out of the womb saying someone else gets to have authority over your life, that you've handed over the keys. It is the opposite of all of our impulses to go our own way or the way of everyone else. And this change in heart and mind will naturally lead to a change in action as well, which is what we see with repentance, a change in thinking and action. And what I want to make sure to communicate about repentance is that we do, in fact, still sin. Um, It is not this sudden change of, oh, I'm perfect now, I've repented, I'll never mess up again, everything's great. Um, That's not what it is. Um, It is instead a heart and mind transformation that leads to working to align our lives with Jesus. All right, so if we believe and repented, we can find safety, security, and immense joy in knowing that our eternity is now with Jesus. But we still likely have 50, 60, 70 years left on this earth before that reality is upon us. So how do we live now? Uh, What we're going to spend the rest of our time tonight is anchored in John 15. And my hope tonight is that we will see that to live the good life means to rest in Jesus' presence, invest in Jesus' people, and adopt Jesus' purpose. I'll say that again. To live the good life means to rest in Jesus' presence, invest in Jesus' people, and adopt Jesus' purpose. So I want to start tonight by reading John 15, 1 through 17. It's a lot, but it's printed on your scripture seats. Um, if you didn't get one, there should be extra somewhere. But I'm going to read that now. So John 15, 1-17, which says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he, is the, he, is, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my works abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from the Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. I'm not going to read that one twice. Um, I know it's, uh, yeah, so the key word that stands out to me in this passage when I read it is the word abide. Jesus says it many times, often in reference to abiding in him. And to abide essentially means to remain, to remain in Jesus in this context. So how do we follow through on this command? How do we abide in Jesus? I think of the things that we're often involved in. 
clubs, sports, events, etc. If we want to remain a part of that club or that sports team, there's one key element that we have to do. We have to show up. Uh, if we start skipping all of our meetings or practices, and when we do show up, we're just kind of barely there, just kind of skirt by, we probably aren't going to be remaining a part of that club or that sports team for very long. And in a lot of ways, the call to abide in Jesus is a similar concept. We have to invest in our relationship with Jesus. We have to show up and take part if we are actually going to truly abide in him. And while unlike a club or a sports team, Jesus isn't going to kick us out if we do not constantly abide, it is still so much better for us to abide. Personally, I know I'm easily tempted to look at what Jesus has done for me, know that his work has covered all my sins, all the ways I fall short, and be like, sweet, I'm set. I believe in him. Now I can just coast the rest of my life, do whatever I want, and I'll be chilling in heaven at the end. Um, And we might not always think this way consciously, but our actions can often speak this, because it's easy for us to stay stagnant and just kind of go with the flow. And the reality is that it's true that there's nothing that we need to do once we believe in Jesus in order to end up in heaven, eternity with him. But we miss out on so much when this becomes our mindset that we can just coast. Read verse 11 with me again, uh, which he says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. When we abide in Jesus, we experience complete and full joy, something that is not dependent upon anything else except resting in Jesus's presence. I want to take a second to define what joy is because it gets defined differently in different settings. So the definition that I want us to use tonight is happiness and gladness dependent upon who Jesus is versus who we are and what is happening in our lives and that this is rooted in the Holy Spirit. And hey, that kind of joy, it sounds like the good life to me um, and a much firmer foundation for our emotions for them to be rested in who Jesus is because that doesn't change. Um, And I think we tangibly do this by carving out intentional time to just be with Jesus without an agenda or a checklist to instead just spend time in the Bible, in prayer, listening to worship music, just simply sitting before him. And look, I often do a really poor job of this myself. When I do take that time, I find it's always worth it. Because when we do abide it, when we don't abide in Jesus, we see the cost as laid out in verse six. And verse six says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. So here Jesus describes for us what a life of never abiding in him looks like. It withers and fades away. It ultimately amounts to nothing. Um, And even in my own life, I find that when I'm not abiding in Jesus, uh, every so often I can feel these same effects. I begin to feel apathetic about things and I'm only concerned with pursuing temporary comforts. So we depend on Jesus and abide in him to experience the fullness of life that he readily offers. And so to live the good life means to rest in Jesus's presence. And we see that it also means to invest in Jesus's people. I want us to look at verses 12 and 13 from John chapter 15 for this section where Jesus says, 12 and 13 again. Um, He says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friend. So there are amazing and sweet moments of being with Jesus by ourselves that are vital to our walks with him. But we're not called to abide with him all by ourselves for our whole lives. What Jesus tells us in these verses is that the greatest form of love to be experienced in this life is best experienced in community with people that willingly lay down their lives for each other. We don't do Bible studies or huddles just so we can check off another Christian box of the good spiritual things that we're involved in. We do them because they allow us to both abide in Jesus and they give us a chance to intentionally engage with the people that are around us, to pour into them and allow them to pour into us. So this is also a not very subtle plug that if you want to get involved in a huddle or Bible study, talk to me after, we'll make that happen. Um, Because my hope My dream is that we be a community that intentionally engages with each other and cares deeply about how each of us is doing in their walk with Christ. 
and that through this we would love one another as Christ has loved us. And if you're here and you don't believe in Christ, that's okay. Will this be a place, a community, where you still feel just as deeply loved and cared for as well? I remember when I was in college, I met a guy who did not have much of a church background. He'd grown up exposed to church, but he didn't really engage with it in a meaningful way ever in his life. Um, but through a series of events in his life that I won't get into, he ended up meeting with me and asked if he could get involved in things. Um, at this point, things were going pretty well for me, but I was also super busy. I was in college, I had a really full plate. Um, and so I was faced with a choice that if I wanted to just simply keep going as I had, or if I wanted to choose to invest in him, even if that meant a cost to me. And I chose to invest in him. And that relationship ended up being one of the most fulfilling and rewarding ones that I had throughout all of college. And it was only for the last two years. Uh, it was not always easy to invest in that relationship. There were a lot of difficult moments. But there's absolutely no way I would ever go back and change my decision. Because I can remember countless moments of immense joy uh, in experiencing Jesus more fully through walking in community with him. Um, we don't engage in community because it's a lifeless practice. We engage in community because it's a vibrant practice full of life that points us to Jesus. We all desire community, and Jesus offers us this in its richest and longest-lasting form that is so much more joyful. Um, it is just so much more joyful to invest in people, to be marked by love for each other, as we see in John 15, than to not. So lastly, we see that the good life means to adopt Jesus' purpose. I think we get the clearest image of what Jesus' purpose is in Luke 19.10, when Jesus says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. So we're going to be spending two weeks in October in our next series talking about this topic much more in depth, so I won't get too into it too much tonight. But to me, this is both the scariest and the coolest thing about following Jesus. My idea of the good life often involves a lot of my own defined purpose, which is usually just to do whatever makes me happiest in the moment. But Jesus invites us into being a part of his purpose, not because he couldn't do it without us, but because he desires to invite us to be a part of his purpose and his work. And look, this is scary. It's scary to join in on Jesus' purpose because this is what often involves the clearest cost to us. It risks relationship dynamics. We have to put ourselves out there and engage in real conversations. That can be hard to have. But when we do so, we not only bear fruit ourselves, as we see in John 15, we also get to be used to help others bear fruit in their own lives as well. And again, we'll talk about this a lot more in October. Um, But to accept the invitation to join in Jesus' purpose to seek and save the lost is one of the most joyful things that we can do. If you're here tonight and you have believed and repented, you have made the commitment to follow Jesus, my encouragement to you um, is to not let that be the end of your walk with Jesus. Would you challenge yourself to abide more in Jesus, to invest in his people well, and to adopt his purpose? Not because you have to, but because of the immense joy to be found in doing so. And if you're here tonight and you have not committed to following Jesus, if you don't believe in him, you have hesitations, or you're still figuring things out, first of all, thank you for being here. I'm super glad that you are. Um, And second, my hope tonight is that you can just catch a glimpse of what it looks like to tangibly follow Jesus. City Like You is made up of messy, broken people who are desiring to follow Christ above all else. And I would love it if you just got a look at what that looks like tonight. Just got a glimpse of that. Because you're not going to be forced to believe anything here. But I want you to be informed on what it looks like to follow Christ if you're going to make a decision on whether or not you will. So we're going to break up into smaller groups now to discuss with each other. My hope tonight, just like last week, is that these groups will be a place where we feel comfortable comfortable to share honestly about what we believe and what we don't believe, uh, where we feel like we're doing well on our walks with Jesus and where we desire to improve. My hope is that these groups would allow us to not only grow in relationship with each other, but also in our own relationships with Jesus as we continue to learn how to abide in him more fully. So there's no expectation about where anyone should be at um, and certainly no shame attached either. So I'm going to pray and then we'll split up into groups. 
Hey, Lord. Um, yeah, I just thank you um, for, yeah, just your word, John 15. Um, yeah, that you call us in light of everything that you've done for us, um, in light of the eternity you've given us, just to simply abide in you, um, to rest in your presence, uh, to join you in your purpose, and do that together as a community um, desiring to follow you. Yeah, I thank you for the immense joy to be found in doing so. Uh, yeah, that you don't give us this life. Um, yeah, it's just a lifeless way to just follow you. Um, but instead, it's full of vibrancy and joy, um, unlike anything else that we can find in this world. Uh, so yeah, I pray that as we break up in discussion groups tonight, uh, that we gain just a more fuller understanding of the ways in which you're moving, um, that we would just think about, yeah, how they would apply to our own lives, how we can grow and love you more. Uh, yeah, I pray that these groups would be a chance to, to form relationships and to grow in community together um, and ultimately fall in love with you more as a result. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're going to split up into four groups tonight.